wrestle with this. I'm a cook. I'm a chef. I've been a chef a long time. I should wear my little hat, a little chef hat. Uh, I, I, I bring up the food that God's given me to give to you this week. And you take what you can eat, and if you don't like it, don't, don't complain about it to other people because they may like it. Some people don't like, you know, they don't like uh, maybe carrots. But don't throw the carrots away because some of us like carrots. Amen? This is a smorgasbord of truth. And hopefully you'll take some truth and it'll help you. I saw this. I was told, and, and I have searched it out since then, and by a very credible reports, this was written by an African pastor in Rwanda years ago. If you're familiar with the persecution that those boys went through in that area and how many of them were killed ruthlessly by the Muslim population that came in, and by their tribes, what they had to pay for being a Christian. <clears throat> it may help you understand what I'm ready to say. I've said it before a few times, but for the sake of the new people, of course, that are in here, I want you to hear it too. We have at our door there, Fellowship of the Unashamed. We have in the back of the sign on the way out, Fellowship of the Unashamed. This is where I got all that, was from what I found in my search for recipes. And I'm constantly searching for good stuff. Because of Calvary, I got to become a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. And this is what this boy wrote. He said, I have the Holy Spirit's power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense and my future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. I'm no, I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right first Tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, live by prayer, labor by power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. The road is narrow. The way is rough. My companions few, but my guide reliable. I cannot be bought compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of my enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up. Until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus, the risen Lord and Savior. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work until he stops me. 
And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. A born-again, blood-bought believer in the risen Christ, and his name is Jesus. How about you? How about you this morning? How has the cross affected you? That's what I want to talk about. How has the cross affected you? It has affected you. How could one born so poor, a carpenter's son, living in such an obscure place, dying a condemned criminal of the state, ever capture the attention of the whole world for some 19 plus centuries? Two major worldwide holidays are around this nobody, this no one born in little town of Bethlehem, which is nothing but a village. Two worldwide holidays are around him, Christmas and Easter. Tens of thousands of songs have been written about him. Hundreds of thousands of books written about him. Countless poems and soliloquies. You didn't know I knew that, did you? Soliloquy. Yeah, I'm quite cultured. Written about him. Inspiring artists, sculptures, painters. Through the centuries, countless testimonies have changed lives in this room this morning. Drunkards have been made sober, some of you. Drug addicts have been caused to go straight. Immoral people have been caused to be moral. Thieves have been made honest. This one called Jesus was actually who he said he was, the very Son of God, manifest in the flesh. As John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The cross does five major things to us that I want to bring out this morning to help us understand its power. Because one way or another, you are affected by the cross. You cannot ignore it, and you surely cannot escape it. The cross, first of all, brings out what is inside of you. The cross has the ability to reveal who you really are. It brought the devil out of Judas, Iscariot. It brought the coward out of Peter, and there was a coward in Peter. It brought the vile hate out of supposedly loving Pharisees. It brought the greed out of soldiers. It brought the cruelty out of those who passed by on the crucifixion day. It brought out God the Father's displeasure of sin. When you look at Calvary, you see what God the Father feels about sin. He hates sin. Psalm or Isaiah 53. I believe it is verse 10. Speaking of the Christ that was to be crucified some 700 years before it happened, so clearly detailed in Isaiah 53. It says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. 
It pleased the Lord to bruise his son. Yeah. Because his son had agreed to take your place. He agreed to take your place. And you deserve to be bruised. And I deserve to be bruised for my decision-making and my rebellion and my wickedness and my unrighteousness. But Jesus said, I'll take their place. Whoever, whosoever among them will believe that I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God, that I died, was buried, and rose again the third day, and they'll believe it for, with all their heart. Never does the Bible refer to your belief as only head belief. This is not a technical schematic. This is the kind of belief that at the altar of a marriage, the, the preacher says, do you take this man to be your husband? We are not looking for an intellectual yes. You had no idea what you were getting into when you said yes, but you wanted whatever it was. Oh, yeah, I like that. All right. He's not here to hear it. Brother Gilbert, when you said yes, it wasn't a mind decision. It was your heart. Everything that was within you, you said, I take this woman, excluding every other woman, to be my lawful wedded wife. Wow. When you come to Jesus, similar to that, you take him, excluding every other religion, every other belief system, every other fault, whatever it would be, I take Christ as my Savior. That's what it means with all your heart. It brought out Jesus' love for mankind. The cross affected all who came in contact with it, as it will today. Again, the cross brings out what's inside of you. Secondly, the cross forces a decision. People do not like this. Makes them squirm a little bit because they don't want to make a decision. They want to stay neutral. There is, get this and get it good, take it home, put it in the bank. There's no gray area with God. There's just good or bad. The Bible says we're going to be judged for the things done in our body, whether they be good or bad. If there was gray, he'd say good, gray, or bad. He said just good or bad. Ultimately, everything you decide, everything you look at, and everything you think can be in one of those two camps. It's good or it's bad. The cross affects those who came in contact with it. The cross forces a decision. There's no neutral ground under the cross. Jeremiah 21, 8 says, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death, and I do it again today. And every preacher that's out there today preaching the gospel does the same thing as was done way back there by Jeremiah under the Holy Spirit. It's done again today. I set before you again the way of life and the way of death. One thief. You know, Christ was crucified between two thieves. It was not an accident. It was planned. At the beginning of the crucifixion, which is a six-hour period of time, both of them railed on him. 
both of them said, well, save yourself, save us, come down from the cross. You know, as the thing went on and they began to see how he reacted, like the soldiers are so cruel. And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they go, even the head, the centurion said, later on, truly this man was the son of God. We've crucified thousands. I'm saying something he didn't say. We've crucified thousands and thousands of people. We've seen their reaction when they come to die and their hate, their bitterness, their cussing, their cursing. This man asked God to forgive us. Different. They were impacted by the cross. One thief died in sin, hanging right beside the Savior of the world. You say, if I was just around Christianity more, if I just had this, or if I, if somebody would do a Bible study, if somebody, one, one thief hanging right beside the Son of God died in his sin. One thief hanging right beside the Son of God died to sin. And that day spent, the rest of that day, after they broke his legs and he died, he spent in paradise. From, the, from there to now, he's still with Christ. For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We know that. Cults are out there telling there's no heaven, all that stuff. That's just, they don't believe the Bible. An unbeliever can't explain the Bible. What you get with cults is you get people without the Holy Spirit trying to explain a book written by the Holy Spirit. And they always mess it up. The only people who can explain the book written by the Holy Spirit are those people who have the Holy Spirit to interpret the book. And to have the Holy Spirit, you must be born from above. I like John 3.17, Jesus' words, For God sent, God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. I like that. How many not condemned people say an amen toward heaven? He that believeth not is condemned already. What? He that believeth is not condemned, but he that believeth not. Passive resistance, passive silence means no. If as a husband you go over and look at your wife and say, do you love me? And she's silent, I'd, be, I'd worry about that. Amen. You know what you want to hear, don't you? Honey, you're the greatest. Hey, women, I'm coaching you. Once in a while, we want you to say, man, you got big muscles. Once in a while, it isn't bad to get a little compliment, hey? You're a great provider. You're crummy at romance, but you're a good maintenance man. <laughs> Men were not born for romance. We were born to fix stuff. Yeah. You girls got to quit reading them romance novels. They're ruining you. There ain't nobody exists like that. That's like believing in Middle Earth. Like, like Barrows. <laughs> it says here in J Jesus' words, John 3.18, that there's only two groups. 
those who believed and were not condemned and those who believe not and that are condemned already. In other words, basically, if you don't believe, you're already condemned and you're already in your sin. You're already someday going to have to answer for your sin. And when you stand before Jesus to ask for your sin, you're going to be condemned. And where do all condemned people go? They go to one place called hell. You say, is hell a Bible doctrine? It sure is. Jesus spoke more about hell than he did in heaven. He warned people not to go there. He died so you didn't go there. Don't have to go there. He believed it was real, someplace to avoid. Jesus said, heaven's there to gain and heaven's, hell's to avoid, brother. Don't go to hell. Nobody in the sound of my voice should go to hell. Nobody. You should understand Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and ask him to be your Savior, forgive you of all your sin. Do it with all your heart. But you have to make a choice. You will either repent and choose Jesus as your Savior and Lord, or you reject him. And when you reject him, basically you call him a liar, or you believe he was crazy, you think he was a lunatic, but one or the other, it's insultive of the God who made everything. The third thing that happens when you come to the cross is the cross compels, at the same time, attracts. This is, this is wild. The cross compels and attracts. Oh, that old rugged cross so despised by the world has a wondrous attraction for me. Boy, I like that. For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. And they said, so I'll cherish the old rugged cross. Well, don't we like that song? Saints of God love to sing that song. Oh, yeah. What, what does, why, does, why does it attract when it should repel? The cross, the cross itself is a symbol of gruesome, maybe one of, the, maybe one of the most torturesome methods of death ever invented. The cross was cruel, and that would be speaking well of it. The cross was gross, dirty, bloody, smelly. The cross is full of sorrow and pain. It should repel people. They shouldn't be wearing it around their neck or putting it up on top of their church or putting it on top of the flag or having it tattooed on them. You wouldn't think they'd do that. It's a sign of horrible death. Invented, as far as we know, maybe before, but invented and perfected by the Romans. You've got to watch them Italians, man. What compels the magnet? What, what, what attracts us to the cross? The magnitude of crime. The depth of the sacrifice. The scope of its forgiveness. The expression of the love. The shock of the forgiveness for all of us. No one ever loved me like Jesus. My wife loves me, but she don't love me like Jesus. Nobody ever loved me like Jesus. I want to sing again. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the 
sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cares for me. Oh, Jesus loves you this morning. What a shame it'd be for you to miss it. What a horror it'd be for you to have to stand and account for your own sin when Jesus said, I'll take your sin upon myself. The Father said, I could take your sin and I could suffer for it as a just God. I could pay the price that it deserved. And then you, if you simply would believe on me with all your heart, I'll let you have eternal life as a free gift. Why a gift? Because you could never pay for it. What sin have you ever done that you can undo? None. I say things to my wife. Oh, no, there's a lot of guilt going on right now. I say things to my wife I wish I could pull back. I said something this last week. I've been almost married 50 years. So you people married 20 years, it doesn't get better. <laughs> I've been married almost 50 years in January. Make the check out to Bill Lytell. No. Don't give me anything. I don't want a thing. I have more in a bound. 50 years. I've been married. You think I know that woman. I know what to say and what not to say. No, I don't. I said something I thought she would not be offended by. And believe, I know Nick's hard to believe. I offended her. I thought I had it down. No. I offended a girl. Jesus is willing to forgive me from all my sins. I hope she's willing to forgive me. Or we may not have our 50th. How long are you married? 49, that's it. What are you doing out here installing sprinkler systems? Well, I used to be a pastor. <laughs> the fourth thing the cross does, it demands a do or die sacrifice on our part. Jesus in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, 35 says, And when he called his people unto him, his disciples, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. At another place in the parallel Gospels, it says, uh, take up his cross daily. It's an everyday thing. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the Gospels, the same shall find it. Losing your life is not dying. Losing your life is losing your plans for his. You got it? Giving my life to Christ is not, he's not looking for you to die. I mean, he may have you die, but that's not really what he's looking for. He's looking for you to live for him. I had plans as a young man at 18 years old when I got right with God. I had plans to laid out for my whole life. I was going to get into real estate. My parents owned a real estate company in Michigan, a real estate company in Indiana, and I was going to run that. They were getting old and decrepit. And I was going to give, I was going to get, I had a floor covering store that I managed that they also had. And I was running some businesses and working, and I managed a whole floor covering store myself. And, and uh, I thought, boy, this is going, I'm going to buy a house before I'm 22. You know, I'm going to get in the market, make the appreciation. I wanted to somehow gain this world, which is 
Thank God I got saved out of that. But, when Christ came to me at 18 years old and said, I want you. And I gave him my life. You with me? I took them plans. I took those plans. And I dropped them. And I said, what plans do you have for me? If I may say a word before you say anything, I'll do anything you want me to do, but not being, not, don't, don't make me be a preacher. That's what I said. And he says, you're going to preach for him. I felt like Moses. <coughs> this is only the closest part I ever get to Moses is giving excuses why not to do God's will. <coughs> he says, that's what I want you to do. To be crucified means, I love this. To be crucified. Are you crucified with Christ today? To be crucified means you're facing one way. You can't come down and you're not going back. Now, if you're not crucified with Christ and you're doing your own, if you're doing your own thing, you're not crucified with Christ. To be crucified with Christ is doing his, his thing. You're facing one way. You're not looking back. Can't come down. I'm his. The fellowship of the unashamed. Everything I have, everything I will have is his. My plans, my future, my money, my time, treasure, talent, as they say, they're all his. He gave them to me. I like what Paul says, there's nothing you've received that you haven't been given. Now think about it. Isn't that the truth? Your mind you've been given. Life you've been given. Well, I had two friends that died in Vietnam, Broom and Sigsby. Bloom and Sigsby, and I went to see. It took me many years before I could go to the wall. And they died in Vietnam, shook their hand, knew them, grew up with them in my neighborhood. Why in the world do I get to live to 68 years old? It's just an unanswered question. But I can tell you this, life is a privilege. It is a gift from God. For some reason, they didn't get that. 18 years was all they got, but there's people die before that. I had another neighbor die at 13, and some of them died. We had, when I was a young man, we had polio, active polio. It killed numbers. Before I was five years old, many people, young people died of polio, and we had active TB, tuberculosis. This pandemic's not new for us that are 68 and over. We're familiar with it. But we're familiar with a pandemic that's worse than what we've seen. Polio and TB were far worse than what we've seen. That's why we're not panicking. That's why we're not running around going, oh, the sky is falling. To be honest with you, God's been very, very merciful with this pandemic. What it could have been. Are you truly crucified with Christ today? Are you living a life or living a life carelessly with little concern what Jesus thinks? And... You may be. The fifth thing that happens, well, let me start in review. The cross brings out what's inside of you. The cross forces a decision. The cross compels and attracts. The cross demands a do or die sacrifice. And lastly, the cross reveals God's opinion of sin. As I mentioned before, God demonstrates his hatred of sin. If God the Father would do that to his son when he became sin, those who reject his son will go to hell forever. People say, God's too loving for him to have a hell and send people there. 
Look what he did to his son. Because his son was willing to take your sin. If there could have been another way, God surely would have used it. But Jesus was willing to take your punishment. And you can be sure if you reject the sacrifice, the gift of eternal life offered to you, that God will be no less severe upon you as you take upon your decisions. I like the song that says, See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Glory to God. Thank the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for our sins. Thank you for going through Gethsemane. Thank you for resisting the urge to quit. And thank you for, for ferreting me out up there in Elkhart, Indiana in 1969 and not giving up on me and keeping after me. Amen. Father, thank you for the few minutes together this morning. Thank you for the Bible. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.